Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. You're going to have to forgive me. I sound like crap. In any other world, I would not be hosting a podcast today. Spring allergies are killing me. I've taken three COVID tests and they all came back negative. But I am committed to our listeners who put us on the chartable top 100 for for wrestling podcasts in Canada. They put us as high as 24 so far. Um, and I wasn't going to skip a day of talking to you guys. And we've got a guest today, one of the promoter that broke me into the wrestling business. Wayne Stanton is here and he's going to be in studio. Hello, Mike. Yeah. Um, and Crick, producer Chris is here too. Uh, before I get too far though, I want to, I want to ask, I need your help. Oh, hit listeners. Me. No, not you, Chris. I'm talking to the listeners now. <laughs> I need your help. We have done more in five episodes than I ever thought we were going to do. I honestly thought, you know, people are going to listen. They'll get a real hoot out of some of the stories I tell and, and my dynamic chemistry with producer Chris and, and the economic breakdown of what independent promoters have to do. I knew people would find it entertaining. I was not worried about that. Trust me. I have a ton of confidence, but now I need your help. We've got as high as 24 on chartable. I want to get to the top 10. Yeah. That is my goal. So how can you help me? Well, first and foremost, go to Facebook and like our page, the total B she show, go to Instagram and follow us on Instagram at, Total Bishis. Go to Twitter and follow us on Twitter at Total Bishis. Go to your favorite uh, podcast platform, whether it be Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, and subscribe to the show. The time you guys take to listen to me just sit here and be she's is a true honor to me. We could not be in the top 24 if it wasn't for our listeners. We would have fallen flat. We would have been 97, 98, 99, or not even in there. I need your help. Then every Monday when we start sharing stories about the upcoming episode or the episode that just landed, if you could leave a comment, share it with your friends, tell people who listen to podcasts, if you like independent wrestling, listen to this podcast. That's how we're going to grow. And that's, we got a lot of big things planned. Yeah, we sure do. And really, to boil it all down, rate, review, subscribe. That's the best thing you can do for us. And if you rate it, three stars only, because I want room to improve. Absolutely. Three uh, stars. And a comment would be nice. Yes. And so, let me tell you some of the big things I've got planned here. We're already planning a launch party. The Total Bees She Show launch party. Last week, I called it a show. I have no ambition whatsoever to promote a wrestling show. I don't have the energy. I'm under contract with a, with a CFL team until the end of the season. Not to play, obviously. Um, and well, I was I, excited for a minute there. I also, right I also have a commitment with Spirit Halloween every year to help run the stores in Winnipeg. And I just... It's not, it's not in the cards for me to run. I don't really want to run. And, and there's been actually two promoters who've reached out and said... Do you have interest in booking? Do you have interest in consulting? Do you want to help us? It would not work for me 
to help one promoter when I'm trying to talk to all promoters to make their products better. Yeah. It would then become a conflict of interest. So it's, it's nothing that, you know, if I show up and I ring announce a show, it'll be because I want to do a favor and I want to reach, I want to talk to the fans directly um, and have my face at a show. But I, I'm not political here. I want every promoter to succeed. I want, I want the business to be on fire with every wrestling company all over Canada, all over the U.S. We're going to start talking about my my friend Charlie Haas and his and his his venture in Texas, uh, SWE three sixty. Right. I want that to explode. I've always said I wanted to start a wrestling company in Texas. If you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band. If you're going to run in Texas, you got to have smart brains. Guess who their booker is? I have no idea. The Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan. Oh my God! Yes. So. I want Charlie to succeed in Texas. I want Cloud9 to succeed in North Dakota. I want Eric Cannon's first wrestling in Minneapolis to do well. Notice I always plug my people I consider to be my friends. I want Kevin Matthews, who I don't even know. I want him to be successful with, with uh, he does the, the shows in, Atla- in Alaska. Yeah. I want David Hero, who, does, uh, who runs out of Milwaukee. I want him to be successful. I've never met the man. I want every independent promoter in North America to be successful. And that's a big thing that we talked about last week. If you're an independent promoter and you're hearing this, you're listening to this right now, send us a message on Facebook. Send us a message on Instagram. Send us yeah. a, an email. Just Send just me your press kit. Introduce yourself. So I can talk about your talent and I can talk about the things you want me to talk Get about. Get yourself introduced As to opposed us. to griping about ticket prices or graphic design and stuff like that. If you listen to my advice, it's going to work. Um, but I want to do shout outs too there, Chris. Yeah. We, we, and we had, uh, we had a lot of, lot of fun last week. I have week. to say thank you. Oh, oh, to whom? Dave Patrician. Yeah, that's where I was going. Mary Brown's gift card. What a gift. That was uh, delicious. Yeah. So Chris and I went there before we started producing today. So I'm a little bit. I'm full because it was very, very good value for what we what, what we bought. Chris, what did you have? I had the Big Mary. Yeah, how was that? I love it. I, I the Big Mary is my favorite. Like I I've been to Mary Brown's before, so when I got this gift card, I was like, yes. You knew exactly yeah, what you wanted. Yeah, like I was like Mary Brown's Big Mary. With the taters on the side, for sure. You love your taters, I don't love the you? taters. Those taters are good. Yeah, and then for me, because I like to spice it up, and because I, I think I have more personality than you, whether I do or don't. <laughs> so, of course, you, keep thinking you that. go with the plain uh, Big Mary, and I had to go spicy Big Mary because I just... You're a spicy guy. Yeah, exactly. And so, wow, it was great. My mouth is still, like, I've been drinking my water trying to, you know... Because that's the kick the spice had. It was great. Dave Patrician, thank you very much. Also, shout out. Next shout out. You know the guy who made our logo? His name's Andrew Andrew Templeton. He did it perfectly. A lot of people like our logo. You're going to start seeing our logo on shirts very soon. I'm going to have some information about that in the next week or two. I'm also going to have some information about sponsors. We already have one sponsor, firstrow.ca. Yes. Curtis Housen, one of my good friends. Um, you know what? If you want a Tony Atlas autograph, go to firstrow.ca. He's got one and it's $4.99 Canadian. So if you're in the States and you want a Tony Atlas autograph, I think that's going to be under four bucks, but then there's maybe shipping and handling. But like I was looking at his site and he's got sports cards and memorabilia. He's got uh, Jim Brunzel's autograph for sale. He's got... Uh, like he's got a great selection. I might have to do some shopping. I think he's got Sandman. He's got some good stuff. So yeah, go to firstrow.ca, use the promo code BSHEES, and uh, you'll get ten percent off. But on four ninety nine for a car for an autograph of Tony Atlas, do you need to save ten percent? I don't think so. But remember, BSHEES. And um, who else do I want to shout out to right now, Chris? You have no idea, do you? I have no idea. Ah, uh, let me think here. What about our new YouTube? 
Oh yes, our YouTube and, and channel. We're not shouting out to anybody. No, we hired important. somebody to take because you got too much work on your plate. I'm sorry, man. You're you're the hardest working guy to make me sound professional. So we brought in somebody who's going to be running the YouTube channel. So you're going to start seeing videos that are con- so we do a show that goes about an hour, ten minutes, and the highlights. The funny stories, when I talk about Samoa Joe and how he was so unprofessional and wouldn't put over Kenny Omega, you're going to be able to see that on YouTube. When I talk about uh, Adam Knight slapping a fan when he was a babyface and how that's a booker's worst nightmare, you can hear about that on YouTube. What else could you hear about on YouTube? You could hear about um, My True Feelings for Vance Nevada, which I talked about in episode five. All the best stories from this podcast are going to be on YouTube. So check us out on YouTube, The Total She Show. Please subscribe. Please make an effort to watch our videos because that's the reason why we're doing it. Why would we waste our energy if it wasn't to provide more content for you? Uh, So we're going to have Wayne Stanton coming up after the break. I'm so excited to have Wayne here, uh, the promoter who broke me into the wrestling business. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Cheese Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code Bees Cheese. Again, the code is B E E Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. The golden voice of the greatest ring announcer Winnipeg has ever seen, promoter Wayne Stanton introducing uh, Rick Martell. And I'm very, very happy to have Wayne Stanton join us in studio, the promoter who broke me into the business in 1995, the promoter who broke in Vance, Nevada. And it's just an honor to have you join me as the second guest ever on the Total She Show. Wayne, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike, and I, it's a great honor to be uh, having brought you in and Vance in the greatest rivalry in independent wrestling, and I was part of it. <laughs> Everyone says this. I, you know what? He's my cousin. I love him. I said that last week, and two weeks ago, of course, I made him sound like a total jabron. So it is a love-hate relationship, but you know what? It's, it's amazing because in 1993, you started River City Wrestling in Winnipeg, and if you didn't allow that avenue to guys like Vance to break in, it wouldn't have led to... Adam Knight breaking in, who broke in in 95 around the same time as me. Uh, also, Spice Richards was a part of that class. And then uh, a couple years later, Rob Stardom came in. So you're instrumental in so many guys breaking into the business. And I got the sense that from 1993 to 95, when you're 96, when you're running River City, 
it wasn't really a for-profit effort. It was about a community effort. It was about building something, but I never really got the, the, I never thought you were greedy and trying to profit every time you ran a show. Is that true? Well, that's true because I had, was running an independent business at the same time, a singing telegram business called Rent a Nerd. (laughs) And that business was showing a profit. So I needed something like, like the wrestling, what it did was to bring my tax uh, or my deductions down so that I wouldn't have to claim as much for the Rent a Nerd business, the singing telegram business. Yeah. So you were, I remember the first show I ever went to, Vance was in the main event. I could tell you what the main event was. It was August of 1993. The main event was the Canadian Cannonball, who was Robbie Royce under a bodysuit and a mask, Sluggo Smith and Vance Nevada's Team Canada, and they took on Captain America Bobby D, who was the booker Doug McCall, Mike Stone, who was Corporal Punishment, and Sergeant Steele who was Mike Phillips, who's, who had, they all had pretty decent careers. Uh, Mike Stone and, and Sergeant Steele traveled quite a lot, actually. Um, so that's the first time I met you. You were the ring announcer. I was amazed. First impressions of a ring announcer are very important. And I think you always, it was almost like you were like the, what did they call that at the, at the, at the circus? Like the barker? Oh, the yes. ringmaster. Carnival barker. Well, I always saw myself as the ringmaster. And then a few years ago when that movie came out with, um, with the guy who plays uh, uh, the X-Man with the claws, uh, I always saw myself as the ringmaster. This is the circus, and I'm the ringmaster. I am the only normal person in this bizarre collection of characters. <laughs> um, the only normal person, because they're all supposed to be characters. Caveman Broda, the late Caveman Broda, was one of your roster. Uh, Dave Levinsky, the crybaby, was part of that roster. Uh, I'm, I'm missing so many guys. Frank Starr was under a mask as the Emerald Dragon, if I remember correctly. Beautiful Bobby J was part of that roster. Was bad boy Brian Jewell? They were leather and lace. Yes, Bobby J, Brian Jewell, leather and lace. They were one of our big tag teams. Of course, they feuded with Petro and Stone. Yeah. Uh, that Dave was Petro a, was on the roster too. Yeah. Dave, and Dave, by now, Dave had, uh, well, he had developed all of these guys had developed into very good wrestlers yes you know from a lot of these guys i'd seen for the first time in new brand wrestling in 1979 1980 but uh, these guys were now um, ready to go like they were they were that was a strong roster as a matter of fact i'll tell you how strong it was they came to deregulation they were going to talk about everybody used to need a license and promoters and that and uh, so we had to speak to the commission and and bob holiday for ww F at the time, yeah. he called me and he said, could you come and do a co-presentation with us? Because we had that much credibility that the only promotion that Bob Holiday called was us. Of course, Bob still represented Tony. Yeah. Uh, but but those were the two, what do you want to call, credible organizations. So you were arguing for deregulation? Um, or were you arguing to keep regulation? No, no, we didn't want it. We, we. So you were part of Marty Goldstein was also part of that trying to deregulate, right? Yes. But Bob Marty. and Doug did, or Bob and Marty didn't get along. No, they didn't. As a matter of <laughs> fact, Marty didn't get along with most people. I remember Doug McCall coming to me. He was one of the three partners, me, Dave Pinsky, myself, and he says there's just three, uh, two rules in River City Wrestling. First, everybody gets paid, and Marty Goldstein isn't allowed to be part of it. Really. That was Doug said, two rules. Well, that's an interesting rule. It, well, just so you know, Chris, Marty Goldstein isn't allowed to be a part of this podcast either. Fair and enough. I'm joking because I, I like Marty. I appreciate him for, for who he is. But after Doug McCall left River City Wrestling, we did bring in Marty Goldstein. and he was, I, uh, I was a rookie when that happened. Yeah, and he was a credible guy. From 1994 until early 1996, River City Wrestling had Shaw Cable for TV, right? Yes. And so they would run in 13-week blocks, 13 right. on, 13 off. Right. Right? And then that's really where the developmental of the, the development of Vance Nevada and Robbie Royce is the wild ones. Brother Midnight and the Tulip had a, had an angle where they argued who was the biggest loser. Shout out to Tulip. He 
you sent us a message after last week's you did. story. Yeah, that yeah. was nice. Um, so you, there were so many good angles. And I guess the booking, right, if I'm correct, went from Doug McCall, Bobby D, to Vance, if I'm not. No, D, to Dave Pinsky, to Vance, right? Right. But, and, and that's one of the sad parts about it. There were three partners. And then when Doug left... Dave did a bit of a power thing, said, I'm in charge now. <laughs> and I said, well, no, it's a collaboration between you and I. And then Dave left. Actually. So then it was just you. And then, well, that, so then we went to Vance, of course, like, you know, Dave was the guy. And then, of course, Dave eventually came back, but uh, yeah. Vance took it because Dave uh, just wanted the power. And, and maybe rightly, rightly so. He was a smart guy. He Thought was he a, was next in line. And I'll tell you, Dave is the funniest guy. We used to do comedy together. He was my agent. He was my manager. We would go on tour. We'd go all over uh, Saskatchewan, Ontario, Manitoba, because we wanted to be home the next day. Yeah. Um, But he would be the guy who would, uh, he'd drive out there. Of course, I'd drive with him. He'd set up all the equipment. He'd be the opening act. And then, of course, I would be the feature act. And then. uh, So that's, I was going to ask you about that. Stand-up comedy. We've all heard it, but you don't do it anymore. Why is that? Steve Martin had a great phrase for it. He said, you comedians tend to age out. And except for the really good ones that can do it while they're older, you just age out. You're not as funny. I mean, you just look at the guys, they're not as funny. But the the thing about Dave was, of course, um, I knew Dave from the wrestling business because he was in the wrestling business and... uh, but in 1989, actually, I won a contest in Yuck Yucks, a Yuck Yucks comedy contest. And so I was a 1989 Yuck Yucks comedy champ. And Dave was booking for a place called the Morris Agency, like a talent agency. Yeah, I, I've heard of it. And uh, he would book comics. He would book me. There was a John Youngberg. I don't know. If yeah, you know I know John him. From, he used yeah. to be on Big Breakfast uh, in Winnipeg. Uh, Dean Jenkinson, people like that. But the same sort of, uh, even Bruce Clark. I don't know if you know Bruce Clark. He, and I don't local know guy went on to the Tonight Show. But the whole idea was that Dave was the agent. And uh, it was basically a 50-50 split, whatever they're going to pay. You know, Dave would get half and we would get half. But of course, he would do all that work of, of setting us yeah. up. And... Uh, just one last thing about that. I don't want to talk about the comedy business too much, but uh, I had a title, the Yuck Yucks Comedy. He could put it on a poster featuring Wayne Stanton, the 1989 Yuck Yucks Comedy Champion. And later what happened was there was a comedy agency in Winnipeg called Rent a Nerd. Which you ended up owning. I ended up owning it, but, but it was run by one guy, but that was his living. This guy was making a full-time living. And what he did was he called me up because he couldn't handle all the bookings. Like he, for one guy, he just couldn't handle all the bookings. He said, could you do my overflow of bookings? And of course, I started doing the overflow of bookings. And then he decided he wanted to go to Kelowna to get into movies and television and do the rent a nerd out there. Mm-hmm. So then he sold the rent a nerd business to me. Yes. And I can still remember my, the phone call when people would call me. But the, the answering machine they would get on my answering machine would be, Hi, and thanks for calling Rent-A-Nerd. We are Winnipeg's finest comedy entertainment service. There's no one to take your call at the moment as we are out zigging and zagging providing comedy entertainment to a number of functions this cool Friday morning. But if you leave your name and number along with the best time to get back to you, we'll call you then. Once again, thanks for calling Rent-A-Nerd and... Here's that tone. Ha! You know what? That was your voicemail when in the late 90s when I used to call you. You'd say, and here's that tone. I remember that. So you took that from your time as rent and owner. Right. Oh, that's that's awesome. You should put an applause to that. A, that was great. And, I'll, and you I, remember it word for word because you probably had to say it every day because this Friday morning turned to this right. Monday afternoon. It had to make it look, since it was only one man operation, it had to look like every day that they called, you were out that particular day. On a booking. Yeah, on a booking. Yeah. Or a number of bookings. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, you were a football coach, right? 
Well, as a coach, I'll just touch on that from the 70s. From 1970 to 1981, I coached uh, football. I coached kids who were 14 and under. In 1976, I won an award from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers Coach of the Year. There was a group of 76 coaches, and it was uh, probably one of my most prized possessions. It was presented to me by a coach named Bud Riley. Yes. Now, I don't know if you know, remember Bud, but Mike Riley's dad, correct? Mike Riley's dad. Mike Riley and I are the same age. Mike is coaching now in the USFL. Yeah. Uh, but again... Uh, as I said, it was his father who presented the award. And the funny thing about that was the day of the award was I didn't want to go there because it was coaches, every university coach, high school coaches. And I thought I'm just coaching kids, you know, 15 and under. I, I'm not good enough. I think that's been the, 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 the mantra of my life. I'm not good enough. But I got a call from Paul Robson, who yeah. was the general manager at the time. Yes. He called me at home. He said, are you coming to the awards banquet? And I said, well, I don't think I will be there. And Paul said, well, I think you should because you're going to be getting an award. That's amazing. And uh, so I came there and I was surprised. I didn't know that Bud Riley would be giving out the award, but of all the people to give it, that's what made it a, an honor that to the Blue Bomber coach could have given it to the university. The exactly, junior, that, yeah. But he gave it to my class of so were you an offensive guy or defensive guy? I was more of a an offensive guy. Yeah. And only because I thought the way you coach football, you take the most wild, the crazy, most aggressive madman and you put them on the defense. Yes. And then you now have to offensively, now you have to be smart, you know, that you just, and the biggest rule I had when I coached the kids, I always, always say the biggest rule, we need the ball to win. That was what it said. We need the ball to win. And not just half the game, like you kick, you kick, you, you've got to take the ball away from them when yeah. you've got the ball. But again, you need the ball to win. And that was what I would just drum into their minds. And so we had all these guys trying to rip the ball out every time because that was our philosophy. So you inspired the defense, but managed the, the offense more, you're saying. Right. And because this was what was known as six-man football. You had an 18-man roster, but six people on each side. So as long as you were organized on the offensive side, uh, someone else, like an assistant, could handle the defense because a lot of your, your practices were, were scrimmaging. Yeah. And uh, I absolutely loved coaching football. It was like a passion, like you had for wrestling, because I would put it above everything else. I went to university for three of those years and i and i didn't graduate i always tell people i fell a uh, 120 credits short of graduating <laughs> so all of them <laughs> which is all you need was that you u of m or u of w i went to u of uh, w the first year then u of m the se second two years yeah that was around the time of one flew over the, the cuckoo's nest and things like that <laughs> uh, but again i just want to touch on that because the funniest thing about it and this is the final coaching thing i would say is when i quit in 1981 i opened a little restaurant right in this neighborhood right by Louis Riel High School in Provence Junior High, uh, and it had um, and it was called uh, Coaches. I called it Coach's Corner. Coach's Corner. Although the kids in the neighborhood called it Munchies because that's what it used to be called. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, you could put four pinball machines or video games into a small place, and yeah. the, the place actually made more money on the video games and pinball machines than it in did a on quarter at a time, right? Yes, and that just did. And then, of course, when you split the money, I hope Revenue Canada isn't listening. <laughs> when they emptied the machine, we would only claim half the money. Of course. Like, you know, if there's half here, it's all cash money. Exactly. So, so it, it shouldn't would, even have claimed half. Well, we probably shouldn't have done that. But again, uh, and the funniest thing in 1981, that's when Don Cherry started Coach's Corner on Hockey Night in Canada. You should have sent him a cease and desist. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, if all the times I spent in court, I guess I should have. <laughs> no, but... I, 
I told all the kids there that uh, I was sponsoring Coach's Corner, this tiny little corner restaurant, uh, which is only takeout except for the video things. We were sponsoring Don Cherry and Coach's Corner. That's amazing. I'm loving this, finding out more, because people know you from being the ring announcer or being the the promoter, right? But nobody knows the story behind what Mm -hmm. made you want to be a promoter. Mm -hmm. So from 93 to 96, I kind of talked about why 96 ended the way it did. Vance bought you out and I think you retired, right? You just, you wanted time off. Right, because at the time I was running that, I had my full-time job 40 hours a week, and I was running Rent-A-Nerd, it was like a full-time business, and I was doing the wrestling, and it was just too much, it was just, uh, yeah. well, you, you know what it's like when it gets just too much. I know, you just I can't take sabbaticals. You, you can't be efficient yep. at any of these things. So that's, uh, yeah, so that's, and just to correct you though, I did sell River City Wrestling to Vance for $1,000. It wasn't 500 No, it was, but it was Rick Lackey's money, but. Uh, that's my Dairy Queen money. <laughs> thousand dollars there it is but, the but you po- threw the ring in yeah but but the point of that not only that and a 13-week tv deal yeah and so but my idea was that i wouldn't charge him much because there's operating costs yeah and the less i could charge him then he would have more money you cut him a sweetheart deal right no question and the sad thing about that was that they cl- they shut the tv deal down because when they went to sean and said okay we're going to continue they said no our deal was with wayne yeah and wayne is credible we yeah. don't know you guys and actually rick lackey the uh, the promoter at the time he went to the crtc and filed the complaint and saying that we there was our television show and they're taking it away from us so it it all ended up working for the best in a lot of ways i'll tell you that because i was a rookie i broke in in august of 1995 and this was in february it was february 29th 1996 because it was the leap year and the insurance lapsed show got canceled but i like rick and vance didn't even i think they promoted two shows together and then ernie todd came around and I, I refer to Ernie Todd as the perpetually constipated Ernie Todd. And my, I, I've got, my, my voice is messed up today, but I'm going to try it. Wayne, it's Ernie. He used to force his voice to sound macho and it just came off pretty, pretty lame. And I remember always like, I was so devastated. Like I never liked Ernie and he never liked me. And, but you were always much easier to work for. You were very relaxed and approachable and honestly much nicer guy. And, and Wayne, and Ernie couldn't be, you couldn't say that about Ernie. I don't know about that, Mike. You and I think we're, think we're very much alike. We seem to be easy to get along. Then we would just fly off the handle and get <laughs> angry. Uh, I recall the story of them telling me once you took a chair and you threw it across the room at a WFX show. No, it was a water bottle and I almost hit Axe in the face. See, a water bottle and when I heard it was a chair. So. You know, if it had been a chair, he would have stuck that chair up my ass. So I could tell that story if you don't mind me sidebar. Sure. So it was, the, it was the second night of AWE's Larger Than Life. Scott, Scott and Rick Steiner were in town and, and Billy Gunn and Chuck Palumbo and we had a locker room full of guys and first night I found that it it didn't run smoothly and I was pretty upset and Saxon was my co-booker and so I I I pulled the crew into a meeting and I just started yelling and I got fired up and I used to get fired up in front of the crew like I try to motivate them but this one was negative motivation I was like you I was f this f that bah, 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 bah. and I had this water bottle and to, for dramatic effect I did a spin around and hucked it thinking it would hit the wall <laughs> and straight for Axe's face the super oh heavyweight of the roster and he's such a relaxed guy I love the man he just moved and I was like Steve Steve I'm sorry I'm sorry Steve and he's like it's all good and that was that was it. If, I, I did get mad. If he'd have wanted to, you'd have just pulled your arms off like that. He would have shoved that water yeah. bottle up my ass. Yeah. I'd still be I'd still be spewing water from that bottle being up my ass. But he, he was relaxed about it. So it's it's true. I did I did get I would get fired up, but it was like there's so much pressure, and you know this, from promoting and and if you take the proper pride into promoting the show and you put so much into it, 
it, it's it's overwhelming. And there's the best way to outlet that emotion is to say, ah, F this and, and get it out, as opposed to bottling it up. When I ran WFX in 2010, and I'm going to stop sidebar and kind of get back to you, but when I ran WFX in 2010, I wouldn't outlet it. And then I would, the, for three days after a show, people would call me and say, oh, what a great show. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't digest it. I, I couldn't even communicate. Yeah. I would go to a quiet place and sit in a dark room for 24 to 48 hours. My voice was shot and everything. So it's easy to fly off the handle because you're putting so much energy and creative force into it and everything you got. And that's, I think what happened. Have you ever called anybody a coward? No. And I was glad you brought that up. Only out of fun. Uh, Well, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be honest here. This is great. And thank you. I imitate you, but it's, it's honestly, it's an honor for me to do it. So it's like, you're a coward. And, and it's, because it's an honor that you've once once or twice called me a coward. You've also called Danny Duggan a coward, Andrew Shellcross, Ernie Todd, probably Vance Nevada. Who else? Anybody, well, I would get mad because of most people, if they know me, you know that I just don't swear at people. I don't swear a lot. No. And uh, to me, that was as intense, that was as intense me using the worst swear word possible <laughs> to me was calling them a coward. That was the most intense thing I could call them. In my mind, although yes. to them, it's going, oh, I'm only a coward? Well, it could be worse. Mike called me a lot worse. Or something. <laughs> well, I, I never, I always, so maybe I have, I don't know. I'd have to ask around. I never, ever tried to single out my attacks, right? So if I was mad at one person, I would always try to put it on the whole group because you single out one guy. Well, I'm not the toughest guy in the locker room, right? And you single out a guy who's tougher than you, he might he might beat the piss out of you. So I never ever wanted to, to ever single it out. So I would talk about the incident that was making me mad, but then I'd put it on everybody to get better together was sort of my thing. I learned a lot about, actually, in fairness, I learned a lot from you how to motivate a locker room. You used to have a, a crew meeting and you used to pep talk. Yeah. And it probably came from your football coaching days. Yeah, right, exactly. And and I always thought, hey, I as a booker, I'm a coach. And I got to pull the guys in. And I remember WFX, I had all these names. And they used to say, that's what's missing. Like uh, guys like Charlie Haas and, and, and guys like that would say, that's great because it would set the m- mood for what's going to happen at bell time. And that's one thing I really have to thank Danny for, uh, you know, Danny Duggan. When he started uh, his promotion, I guess he didn't have the confidence really to talk to the crew and he would ask me to talk to them before the crew meeting or before the show and I would give them that little pep talk, you know. And I thought, well, this is very a great amount of respect that Danny is showing to me. Eventually he got more confidence and, and he did it. But. And I can remember that too. When I started with you in River City Wrestling, you were still doing the pep talks before the shows and it was it was great. Like I, after you were done, I was like, I'm ready, you know. Like I, you, you don't feel ready when you're a young guy. You feel like you're nervous, whatever, and you're training and stuff like that. And then Wayne comes in and gives you a big pep talk and you're like, yeah, let's. I also found it motivating. I also found it motivating when you cussed me out when I was your booker, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so let's fast forward. In 96, you sold to Vance and that didn't work out for Vance. And then Ernie took over the territory. And in 98 or not, in winter of 98, I remember it well, you had decided, you started running commercials on WCW worldwide TV show on CKY. And it, um, no, this was actually running commercials on Tony Candelo's show. Are you sure? It would have probably run between. I'm pretty sure Tony Candelo's played first. 12 noon. And then there was... Yeah, 12 noons, Saturday afternoons. Okay. I remember it well, because that... Okay, tell me what you remember. It sounds more impressive. It's WCW. So WCW would run Saturdays at... And it was actually... They might have been running... Uh, they might have been running a Monday Nitro recap syndicated show in, in Winnipeg on CKY. Yeah, CKY. Yeah, and so you would run... Um, for you'd run a 30 second commercial right. and it would give your home phone number and it'd say if right. you want to train to be a professional wrestler call this number and it was your number and I remember I called you I wanted to be your booker real bad and I said so what do you got put together and you said nothing 
Mm-hmm. I said, well, do you have a ring? And he said, no. <laughs> I was like, how are you going to train the wrestlers? He said, well, we'll figure it out. And you ended up getting a class of guys that wanted to train together. This is the greatest gift you gave to the business, actually, quite honestly. So you got Overkill and Johnny Malibu. Uh, Chris Paris was part of that group. Ronnie Attitude, Big O, Moses Luke. And you let them train for free. You rented a shack on Sutherland, which ended up being the Winnipeg Training the Center famous, for years. Famous, yeah. And you paid all the freight, right? And right. then and then Overkill was a welder. So he agreed to build a ring and we didn't have plans. So he just built it the way he thought. And it was there was a lot of nuts and bolts in that mm-hmm. ring. But you trained everyone for free. What was the motivation for that? Okay, now I'm going to turn this around. You, you say this is a great accomplishment. I think this is possibly what people don't know about you. This is one of your greatest accomplishments. Really? You see, back in 1998, I thought I was out of the business and you kept pestering me. You said, you got to get back in. And here's what you would tell me. There's a bunch of guys in Ernie Todd CWF who want to leave. A whole bunch of guys want to leave. And they did. And if we could do that, we could get a ring. And so that's when the commercial, uh, no, no, no. So I said, okay, let's go ahead. And then we started uh, making plans and we found out that Frank Starr was the only guy who wanted to leave the CWF. And Adam Knight. Well, yeah, well, they were, you know, they were afraid of leaving for something. Uh, yeah, you know, and a lot of them about. had contracts. Yeah, and so that's how come we, we went and we recruited, or I went and recruited those those guys. I put the commercial on, and that just did so. Uh, had you not pestered me... And bullshitted you, and apparently. bullshitted me. Like, I'd gotten, <laughs> because, uh, uh, bee-sheezed. Uh, one of my biggest, uh, I think, uh, attributes is I'm very persistent. Like, I'm like a dog with a bone, and just if I get on you, I just go, 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 and nobody's going to, uh, you know, stop me with that. But again, I've got to get the idea first, and you put that idea in my hand. And what people don't realize, you talk about overkill, there would be no overkill without you, without you started. There would be no... Chris Paris would not have wrestled Buff Bagwell had you not started that thing in 1998. All of those guys, even throw in Jaron Rose. He had a nice little Psycho career. banger, Jaron yeah. Rose. Introduce him for us. Well, Jaron Rose. No, I'm not going to introduce oh, him. I put you uh, on Jaron the spot. Rose. <laughs> uh, but, but things like that, that whole group. And I'll tell you the funny thing about how, the quality of training these guys got. They got training from Stan Sachs. He did an amazing job. And here's how good it was. Tony had two trainees. One was uh, uh, Steve, uh, what was Dixon Cox? Steve Cox and the other one. Tony had no place to train them, so he just put them with our class. These guys were paying over a thousand dollars. Did he give you any money for that? Didn't give me any money, but they were doing exactly the same things, same drills by Stan Saxon. Only they were paying a thousand dollars, and our guys were in there for free. Yeah. So again, the idea of the quality of the training that these guys got, but again. You, uh, you know, as much as you say, well, you, uh, you started things when PCW, you didn't start in PCW. You started recruiting these guys and planting the seeds. I would say if it wasn't for the 1980 and 1999, there may not have been a PCW. And people don't That's give true. you credit for that because you were the spark that Rob, set off River City Wrestling of 1999. Rob Stardom owes me his career because he trained for free in this yes. situation. I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> yes. Right now. So... That's a. Thank you for saying that. And I don't. I'm not going to take the credit for that because it was you. It was your outlay of financial support to do it. And and honestly, there were guys in CWF that were telling me they were unhappy. It was Steve Stryker, Vance Nevada, Adam Knight. They they would all call me and they'd say like, God, we want you know, is Wayne starting? Is Wayne starting? And I said, Yeah, he's starting. And then they didn't come except for Adam Knight because he got fired. <laughs> yeah, and Adam Knight for. And what a what a mixed bag I could tell you about Adam Knight. He's been around forever. He's a very talented heavyweight, but he's, he can be a pain in the ass to produce, quite honestly. And he and he talks back too much. Well, let me just tell you one Adam Knight story. He's one of the people who responded to that commercial. 
to the commercial. And I met him in the Smitty's at St. Vito uh, Center. There was, uh, of course, uh, Chad Ripley. And Spice Richards. Spice Richards and him. And we sat down at a table and they started telling me their wrestling dreams. And that's where it all started. And then Adam Knight went on to be, I just, I love Adam Knight. I thought he was the most respectful, one of the most respectful people that I ever met. Dusty Rhodes once said in the wrestling business, when you, when it's done, you can count all the friends you made on the wrestling business on one hand and you'll have a few fingers left. <laughs> yeah. And Adam Knight is, is one of those people I would really that's great. Because That's awesome. And I guess part of it is when you see the person right from the time when they weren't even a wrestler, and then you see what you became, you, you really get the whole picture of who this person was. Now I'm going to talk about uh, my greatest. You said that that was my greatest accomplishment. I'd like to tell you what I thought my greatest accomplishment was. Yeah, I was going to ask you that next. Time. Well, we have as much time as you need. Yeah, Wayne. absolutely. The greatest contribution I made to the wrestling business, in my opinion, was introducing you, Mike Davidson, to... Jeff Wallace. Jeez wheeze. <laughs> and that is exactly it. Like, we were at Bumpers. What a great name for a wrestling venue. Bumpers, Bumpers. Bar. Yeah. We then we went Bumpers. to Broadway. Then we went to Broadway at one time. Yep. Broadway, another <laughs> great name. for. But the whole idea is that, you know, you were part of that crew. You were one of the leaders of that crew. And then, of course, Will Damon brought in, you know, Jeff. And the funny thing about it was, I don't know if, uh, yeah, I know you don't like to use the people's real name. He, oh, I thought it means. was a fake name when he said, my name is Jeff Wallace. I thought, oh yeah, that's a work name. Yeah. Okay. Jeff Wallace. Like, I and didn't that's think, what we build him as. Yeah. And that's Wallace, what he was Jeff called Wallace. Yeah. before he became Shane. And then I thought, what an idiot. I should have <laughs> asked him. But the idea is that you two met. And here's the greatest thing about that. You were like, I was at one point, I don't think you had the confidence in your ability in the ring, but I could see at bumpers every week. They loved, you know, Jeff, they loved them. They, yeah. and they hated you. They absolutely yeah. hated you. It was you. my first run as a heel, actually. And then I said to him, I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, you two should be matched up. And I remember you saying, no, no, I, I don't do it because I, I can't keep up with them. Mm -hmm. But I could see the audience. I could see this is what the audience wanted. They wanted to see you take a beating from Jeff. <laughs> and I think that's part of it is that you guys really got over big time. Yeah, we did a three-match series. And, and it, it was and it, and it created a friendship. And I think, I, I hate to go and generalize and say the rest is history, but the rest is history. That bumpers bar the meeting of Wallace and Davidson changed the face of wrestling. You're 100% right, because if it hadn't been for that, that marriage or that friendship... I wouldn't probably have ended up as the booker for TRCW, which led to PCW, where mm -hmm. Jeff was the one who introduced me to John Newen, who backed it. And then Jeff was the one who introduced me to Jeff Dick, who backed AWE and WFX. So I've always said that the 10-year period between 1999 and 2010, which, you know, a lot of the guys now don't like when we say this, but it was the best period in Winnipeg wrestling was thanks to that us coming together at a, at a bumpers event. It was, it was, uh, Jeff Wallace, geez, wheeze, uh, JC Dirksen. There might be a problem. That's my imitation of Dirksen playboy, Will Damon and Donnie DiCaprio. I remember a great story. Outpatient walked up to DiCaprio at one of those bumpers bars. And he said, who trained you? And he's like, did snatch train you? Speaking of Don Callis and, and DiCaprio says, yeah. And he's like, you better call and get your money back. And DiCaprio was pretty mad. It was, it was hilarious, but that's what, that was the great thing about Warren is he didn't hold back with rookies. And it was, he didn't hold back with me. I actually valued it looking back, but uh, I'm so flattered that you say that. And, and I would have brought you on the show in episode one, if I'd known you were going to put me over like that. Um, <laughs> 
Um, it's it's great, and there's so much more to talk about. Like this is going to be one interview of probably many that I bring you in for because I'd love to hear more of what happened after 2001 when you ran Broadway and you were instrumental in Danny Duggan's career, who's now the king of Winnipeg wrestling, and and so much more. But I, I'm going to cut it there today. I'm going to ask you to stay around though because we're going to talk about Heels episode okay. five, and I know you watched the series, right? Do you have time for one last story? Absolutely, we have as much time as you need. And this is to attest to your credibility and your commitment to wrestling and your um we're at norquay community club i remember it well we're I... at norquay community club norquay was a big president i would hire i would get lights over the ring my theatrical lights it looked great and at the time i was booking shows i'd worked for ernie todd for a year and i was highly paid and then after he said i can't afford to pay you and then i said well how about if just give me some of the lower end guys and i'll run shows of my own at norquay yeah great and community club right. beautiful great interior community, community club oh, right and right in the right in uh, Point Douglas, right. And so we're uh, and a great setup. They had the auditorium, and then the dressing room was on the second floor with windows, and you could look down on the ring. And and the the behind the windows was a weight room. Can you imagine your dressing room was a weight room? Yeah. But anyway, but the the booker there, since he was were all CWF guys, and the booker there was Gene Swan, one of Ernie's boys. And I guess Ernie got angry because we were outdrawing with a bunch of lower card guys. We were outdrawing his main roster. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to sabotage the show. Yeah. And you picked up, you knew ahead of time that something was up. No, I, I didn't know for sure. The show started and I started ring announcing and the first match, it went for one minute. Yeah. The second match went for two minutes. Yes. The third match went for about two and a half Absolutely minutes. Absolutely Then I clued in. And then finally the fourth match, it went for about two minutes and I went to the dressing room and said, okay, I see what's happening here. I just, you know, this, this is disgusting. So half an hour into the show, we're the four matches. We only had one main event left. And uh, so at Learn Erdy's happy. Oh, I've sabotaged the show. I've put these guys out. And yeah. the main event was you, Mike Davidson. Yeah, you called me two days before. Two days before to I take called. over booking. Yeah. And you wrestled Overkill. Now I've got to explain this guy, Overkill. Overkill was the probably the guy who could kill anybody in the oh, wrestling yeah. business. He played for the Canadian national rugby team. Yes. He was six foot four. He was the the, the scariest or, or but athletic. He was athletic yeah. too. But he still was stiff. Like he yeah. was a big stiff yeah. guy. Oh yeah. And and I don't know what I told you. I says, guys, <laughs> we've got an hour and a half left to do the show, or we got and, and you've got one match left. Yeah. And then you went out with Overkill, and for 45 Oof. minutes, you did a match against this stiff anger. It's like giving a grizzly bear a baseball bat and telling him to come at you and hit you for 45 yeah. minutes. And the idea that, now Overkill, he did it because no one's going to tell him what to do. Ernie exactly. Todd's not going to tell him what to do. Like yeah. He's going to do his match. But you came there, you you saved the show, honestly, that that you, and, and the message you sent to Ernie Todd is you are not going to sabotage the show. You are not going to embarrass yeah. us. You are not going to. It was kind of a, a, a well, F you to Ernie. Yeah. Uh, can I can I build on that story for a second? Oh, well, I'd love to hear because yeah. I wasn't in the ring with there, but I mean, you must have taken the beating of your life, what, I would imagine. What a man of integrity Overkill was though, because mm. he was part of that CWF crew and he saw all of his, all of his guys on his roster all put in no time and he, he came around and he said, we got to go 45 minutes. And I said, oh man, you're, you're so, and he, he had so much integrity. I love Wayne Rashad was his name. And, uh, he said, just trust me. We're going to, we'll go, we'll put in time. And I was like, oh my God, I could only go 20 minutes was what I was saying. And, and I, I said, I bump, the whole thing was as a baby face, I used to just bump and sell for the heel, hit a hot comeback and take it home. And I remember we were out there and I was, I had so much anxiety. We were right about, we were right in Gorilla about to go. And we, and he said, we got 45 to go. And I was like, please take it easy on me. And he's like, I work the way I work. And I was like, oh no. And so, uh, he said, just keep, 
keep fighting back. That's what he, he basically said. And I said, at 20 minutes, if I say go home, we go home. And he said, we're not going home in 20 minutes. And it was the stiffest match of my life. And he, and all I did is keep fighting back and I would hit him as hard as I could. And he didn't, he didn't care. He, he would just, he would hit me the way he hit. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a spot in that Donnie DiCaprio called this match, his favorite match he ever saw locally. And all I did is bump and sell overkill did all the work, but there's one point where he's killing me and you call attention to him with the microphone and swing the belt at him. I wasn't going to say it because I could just see you taking a beating oh, and I, I came to ring. I started swinging the championship belt <laughs> yeah. at him. Right? They yeah, hit, exactly. Knowing that I've got to save, not save Mike, but Mike can't continue you to take this beat yeah i don't even remember how the match ended if i put him i don't remember either i think i think we held the belt up because that ended up going to will damon in a in a a couple shows later because i was bringing in my own crew you were getting rid of ernie you were tired of him micromanaging you and that's Mm -hmm. why i was there was to eventually take over as the booker and it was supposed to be a surprise that i was even working the show because we knew ernie was going to be a problem it was a it was amazing but like this was the beginning of an era where guys like Jeff Wallace, Jeez Wheeze, myself, Will Damon, Adam Knight. It was kind of like, we will do whatever it takes for Wayne. Like that was what was it, what it was. We, we knew at that time we were just about to start PCW, but we were like, if Wayne calls, and I'd just been fired as Bobby J's booker, actually. That was, that was around that time. And I was happy to be staying involved. And, it, and Norquay, who was it? Dennis was the guy. And Dennis was the president. Dennis he, Richard. Yeah. What a great guy he was. And, and like here he was opening up this great venue. And it was in an area of town where there wasn't a lot of tickets to be sold because nobody had the disposable income. And you used to put on the show at obviously a loss, right? Right. But you'd put in like 80, 100, 200 people. Like there was kids there galore. Like, and it was all, I don't think they were paying, but it was entertainment for the community. It was great. No. Well, I'll let you get on with this issue. But last thing, exactly. Most of the people at Norquay didn't get paid or, or, more, or paid to get in because what I would do on 3.30 when school was out, Norquay school is right next to it. I would stand on the corner and give out free tickets at the 3.30 while I'm going home. I'd say, here, bring the, come to the big show Saturday night. Bring granny, bring grandpa on that. Because, and it worked. But because... Norquay was giving the hall for free, okay, and I th- and so they would make money at the concession. So I thought the only way I can make money for them to let us use the hall is to have concessions. And you were right; where it was more like two hundred people uh, yeah. at the shows. It's hard to tell because we had lights over the ring and the crowd was in the dark a lot of the yeah. time. <laughs> but the greatest thing was with Andrew Shellcross and those and other people like would walk in, they'd see two hundred people, and they go, "Wow, he must be making." thousands of dollars and yeah. we're losing money. Yeah, exactly. That's the night you called Ernie Todd a coward. I remember that. Yes. Well, of course I called were, him a coward. Yeah. He was there. That, <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that's why Ernie did it because he got wind that you were going to take over as Booker. Yeah. So he wanted to sabotage the show. See, I'm always a yeah. heat score, Chris. So, always. Everyone's got an Ernie story. You know, during that Norquay run, Playboy Will Damon was actually one of the unsung heroes. He ended up becoming the champion. And what it was, we put him in a rumble and he won it. 45 minutes and then he had to his music hit right after he got walked through the curtain he had to go back out and wrestle adam knight and thank like he was such a incredible performer okay i've got to tell this will damon story and this is it's an incredible credible story that shows you about the sensitivity of some of these guys that you think are so scary now he was a a, a terrible heel and he could just terrify people uh, my sister worked in a library and she brought one of her friends from shout the out library. to carol stanton carol stanton my sister used to drive me after chalmers shows to meet my dad and well there you go we could do a whole not a whole segment on her but yeah, uh, yeah great she volunteer was, at shows right and uh what happened was she brought one of her from but this is a librarian she brought her about the you know 50 year old librarian and and they're sitting in the first row of course and damon is like healing on this woman oh shut up you old bag oh yeah and this woman is terrified like she's literally terrified and frightened and at one point he falls up the ring near and he can see that she is just trembling with fear and so just for a quick second he looks at her 
The audience can't see this, and he winks at her. He just gives her a wink as if to say, hey, everything's okay. And then show. it just melted. It just melted, and she enjoyed the rest of the show. But a moment like that where he saw that this person was truly terrified at him and frightful and that he would hurt her, and then just to dissolve the, in one second with one gesture, and I thought, that is the magical moment that these great actors or these great performers do, that in one gesture, they can turn the mood of the moment. And that was Playboy Will Damon. Like he was top notch in terms of his crowd interaction and the way he'd worked the mic and everything else and his crowd work. One of a kind. Anyway, Wayne, this is the first time you're coming on the show. I guarantee you're going to come back. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming down to studio today and I hope you'll stay for one more segment. We're going to talk right. about heels right. when we come back. Okay. And I just uh, thank you, Mike. And thank you, Chris, because it was nice for me and Mike to reminisce. And it's somehow, I think we feel, felt like we left you out of here because we were just so into our reminiscence. That's okay. That's my job as producer. <laughs> All right. Also, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mike. Okay. 20-year Canadian indie wrestling veteran Rob Stardom has done it all, wrestling in Japan, Mexico, and many places in between, but he's winding down his career. He's not done yet, though. Follow along on the journey of Canadian strong style Rob Stardom as he checks a few more things off his bucket list. Check out the Rob Stardom vlog on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com and search Rob Stardom vlog. And don't forget to leave a comment saying the Total B She's podcast sent you. Okay, here we go. Episode five of Heels, the show that everybody loves to hear us talk about, Mike. They love to hear it. All right. So here's the deal. Jack calls out. Uh, rather, Jack gets a call from the Georgia State Fair. They're talking about having wrestling. Big deal. 10K people. Crystal cuts a scathing heel promo that re is revealed to be just a practice promo. They're piping in noise from the crowd. Jack loves it. Ace hates it because he's a petulant little child, right? While Bill cuts a presser talking about being fired, explaining his behavior on a plane, he over-medicated himself, quote, unquote, and that he's going to go to rehab. He is officially fired at this point, by the way. Uh, at this point, Bill finds out about the state fair because he goes to the store and visits Jack's wife where she's working, uh, Miss Stacy Spade, played by Mike's crush, Allison Luff, um, as well, while Bill gets dollar signs in his eyes. You can almost see the wheels turning. He's like, mm, 10,000 people, that's a big crowd. Maybe I can get a piece of that now that I'm irrelevant. Rejuvenated, he goes to find Jack to, you know, he wants to get in on this. He wants to ask to be a part of the show, except while Bill... While Bill doesn't ask for anything. While Bill basically tells Jack that you need me for this show. You have to have me for this show. Jack tells Wild Bill that, hey, I know what you said to Willie last week about saying that I'm the reason my father killed myself, or killed himself, rather. So he basically tells him to pound sand. I'm not going to use the words because we don't like to swear too much on this podcast, but he tells him to pound sand and get out of there. At the show, Ace arrives. Crystal's hiding in her Jeep. Ace has got his bimbo with him. This is the girl from the bar uh, previously. Her name is Trisha, by the way. Oh, Mike! Mike's cringing because he heard me move my my format. He hates my format. All right, Bill gets into it with Crystal. He's, he gets into her ear. He tells her that, you know, you're great on the stick, but you need to, you need to speak from the heart. You need to improvise. So he gets into her ear. She's going to cut her own promo. Ace breaks Crystal's heart in the locker room when he, walks in with the bimbo and says, this is my new, this is my new valet, you know, and now you're a face and I'm going to cut a promo 
saying that you were cheating on me, which makes no sense, by the way. Why would that's going to give give him sympathy? So they get into the ring, and Crystal takes the mic away from Ace before he can even get anything out. She absolutely buries him in the ring, and uh, then we go to go to the match with Bobby Pin. Bobby Pin, who Crystal is now representing as the manager. And the match is starts out real stiff. That's the idea that you get from it. Ace is bouncing him off the cage. Head first, he's, he's full-on punching him. They do a top-of-the-cage superplex from outside to inside. And then, at the end of the match, Ace hooks on a dreaded toehold. But it's not so much a toehold. He rips away at Bobby Pin's leg, breaks his leg. It's really graphic, too, by the way. I don't know if you, if you remember that, Mike, but you see the bone sticking through in it. And that's pretty much the take-home spot. They go to the hospital after that. Um, you know, Jack roughs up Ace as a typical brother thing. You're on. Go ahead. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, a lot of things I saw in this episode, um, a lot of things I saw in this episode uh, that I'm not sure about. Um, okay. So the fair is, off, is dangling a guarantee, but they don't come out and say it. They're going to come and see the show before they make the decision. We've been there, right, right, Wayne? There's a big guarantee coming and everyone's taking it pretty serious and we want it so bad because it's a change of business. We're not working off the gate. And that's what happens there. And so the guys are all pretty excited about it. Um, Ace can't be professional to save his freaking life. And that's like a good locker room would have a leader. Not Jack Spade. He's a terrible leader. Willie's the closest thing to a leader in that yeah, locker room. Yeah, I agree. Room. Uh, I, as a booker, I, when I had WFX as a locker room, I had locker room leaders that took care of the problems so that I didn't have to deal with an ace spade. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Zach Mercury and Kevin Chevy almost got in a fist fight. Guess who took care of it? I didn't even know it happened till the next day. Raven told me the next day, Billy Gunn and Bob Hawley went outside and they were like, so Chevy's going to beat up Mercury. And everyone thinks Chevy's going to win that fight. Mercury, Mercury doesn't back down. They're beaking at each other. I've heard this secondhand. And so Bob Hawley goes out there and Billy says to Raven, Bob's not going to let them fight because Bob was a locker room leader, a true right. leader. So Bob's, Bob starts talking to him. He's like, listen, you guys, you're going to start being professional. Don't pull this shit in the locker room. It's disrespectful to Mike. It's disrespectful to the whole crew. Come on. And Kevin Chevy says, whatever, fuck. Sorry, you bleep that if you want or leave it in. Oh, I'm yeah. good with that. And so uh, Bob says, whatever, fuck. How about I rip off your effing head, <laughs> feezing head, and I'll piss down your effing throat. How about that? And Kevin Chevy, who normally wouldn't back down, was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because he knew he disrespected Bob, yeah. right? I never even knew it happened as the booker, right? So you need to have veteran leadership in a locker room. Shouldn't that be Wild Bill? The closest thing they've got to it is Willie. And, and like, there's got to be a, a guy on that roster who's been around 10 or 15 years who can say, guys, grow up. And Wild Bill is really just an older ace, if you think about it. E Wild Bill is just different. He, he's always got an agenda. The series... The series was all about being all the levels of drama that go on behind the scenes of an independent wrestling show. If there was that much drama going on behind the wrestling show, there'd be nothing but fights in the locker room. Every night there would be, because it's a macho industry. Well, that's the big problem I have with this episode too, and not to go off tangent too far, but like they packed a lot into this single episode, and last episode was kind of slow. We talked about how it was really nicely paced, and they laid out a story. This episode, it is... Every point in the episode is almost a salient point that you need to know. Like, there were no throwaway scenes in this episode. It was all stuff that you needed to watch. Yeah, and just so you're clear, 
I love Allison Love. I know, but you she's do. not my celebrity crush. I told you, Betty's dead, and I refuse to give up. It's only—it's too new for Betty White to be dead for me to have a new celebrity you can't, crush. Can't move on to Allison Love yet. No, well, what no. If she, what if she's I'm still—I'm still heartbroken about Betty. What if she's listening right now? Do you want to say, you know, a little heartfelt plea? No, 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 no. no. Allison, just just hang nice on. Try. Nice try, nice try. Hang on, he'll come. How around. many turnbuckles are you giving it? Uh, I'm going to give this one 10, no, not even 10. I'm going to give it eight turnbuckles out of 12. Eight? Eight turnbuckles out of 12. This is my least favorite episode so far. Too much Too much content? Way too much. Way too much content. They could have easily put some of this content from this episode into the last episode, and it would have been nicely paced. Mm, I think the reason is they have eight episodes in there, and they had to kind of hit their story arc. I give it mm, 10. 10. 10 turnbuckles, okay. 10 turnbuckles. All right. And that's because Bobby Pin I really like. An impressionable babyface kind of would remind us of maybe, I don't know, a young Mike Myers even. Young Mike Myers. And uh, yeah, I I he gets his leg broken seriously because of the unprofessionalism of Ace. And I think it's going to advance the love story between Bobby and Crystal. And, and then there's the new, is she a stripper or is she just a bartender? Just a bartender. Okay. Yeah. And they show her getting railed by Ace, don't they? Yeah. He, uh, she's getting railed by Ace out in the parking lot. My one track mind. And uh, Crystal's in the Jeep. So that's where her heart sort of gets broken. She's outside in, the, in her Jeep hiding and she kind of catches them coming out of Ace's Volvo station wagon, by the way. They couldn't have found a better vehicle for an asshole to drive. Independent wrestlers only have so much money, pal. Volvos are nice, but I get the sense that's probably his mother's station wagon. Okay, so that's it. That's episode five of Heels. Uh, I had a question for Wayne because we, we kept Wayne around for this. Now, you've promoted wrestling for a long, long time. Can you think of any any times where guys really went into business for themselves and hurt another guy in the ring? Oh, well, I don't know if we want to be talking about our good friend Steve Stryker because uh, Hit it. Hit it, it happened once. It's all it's all it's all fair. Steve Steve's my friend. But yeah, yeah, let's hear oh, okay. it. Okay, well, a friend of the here show. is what happened back in, in you know the mid nineties. Of course, oh. uh, Steve was just a uh, <laughs> bit of a rookie. He's with Sergeant Tom Steele, who is a oh. legitimately tough guy, like a legitimate yes. uh, mean guy. Yes, and uh, they're in the dressing room after the match, and then uh, Steele says uh, to Stark, he says, well, "You know that the clothesline was pretty stiff." And I think Stryker said something, well, you better get used to it. That's the way I do it. Yes, yes. So the next match, there was a tag team between, um, well, Mike Stone, Corporal Punishment, and Sergeant Tom Steele, two, uh, you know, veterans against Steve Stryker and Bugsy Slug. Yes. And uh, they told Bugsy Slug before the match starts, whatever happens, you just stand in the corner and you don't do anything. And when Starker got in the ring, Steele just started giving him a beating right in the middle of the ring. And Stone stood at the, uh, this is at Chalmers, at the dressing room door. So he couldn't run out of the ring and back to the dressing room because this 280-pound guy is standing at the door and just Steele gives him a beating. All because he said, get used to it. That's the way I use a clothesline. I don't know if you saw it differently or heard it differently. I heard it differently from Stryker, and uh, and he's going to call me and light my phone up when he hears this. So there, I've heard it from almost every side. It's one of the legendary Winnipeg stories, and I love when you feed it up to me to tell a good story. So Stryker went out of the ring and got a chair to protect himself, right? And then he went to the back, and he went to Doug McCall, the booker, and he's like, Doug, he's shooting with me and Doug said well if you want to shoot your mouth off get back up there and that actually that's when he went up and he got the chair and then they ended up working the rest of the match Sergeant Steele had made his point and and strike it actually made Stryker a better a better professional it was a 
so the apparently uh, Phillips had gone up to Stryker before the match and said, you know, what's with that clothesline? I haven't been able to eat pizza for two weeks. And Stryker claims he had offered to buy uh, Sergeant Steel a, a pizza. And, and it wasn't good enough. And uh, I, I've always thought that, Paul, that Bugsy Slug should have went to Stryker and clued him in and said, hey, like, this is what's happening. I get it. There was so much pressure on everybody in that situation. But, but even Bugsy, he was new back then too. Yeah. And to give you an idea what Steele was like, uh, he used to wrestle as J.R. Bundy in Vancouver, which is like King Kong Bundy. Yeah. So it gives you the idea of the, what this guy looked like. Yeah. Know? The first show I ever went to, I was telling him he sucked in the corridor of Chalmers and he put me up by, uh, grabbed me by the throat as a, I would have been 14 year old fan and put me up against the wall wow. by my throat. So he was believable. And unfortunately for Steve Stryker, he was way too believable. And, you know, the good news is if at some point Steve Stryker is going to want to come on and tell his version of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because I think you told it right. And I think I would love to hear what Stryker says about it, because I think what I know about Stryker, by the time I broke into 95, this thing happened in 93. He had become, he had a bad reputation with a lot of people for being outspoken. But for me, he was, he taught me a lot about the business and him and I are lifelong friends because of it. He was always very good to me. And I think that that incident in his, very early in his career actually smartened him up and made him better for it. So anyway, that's heels. That's exactly how it happens in the real life where guys take up scores sometimes in the ring as opposed to in the locker room where it can be at least done a little bit more professionally. Wayne, thank you very much for being here today. And uh, we're going to be back to wrap up the show in a little bit, Chris. The Total B She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total B She's show on Twitter at Total B She's, on Instagram at Total B She's, or search us on Facebook, Total B She's. Producer Chris, one of the things that we haven't kept up with is the amount of questions that get emailed to us or sent to us on Twitter. And so I, I want to start opening up to that. I want to, I want to, I'm going to try to answer two a week um, and you can pick them. And, and sometimes I'll know what the question is and sometimes I won't know that what the question is, but I'll do my best to answer it properly and to the listener's um, satisfaction. Let's right. hear it. Well, we got two here and, uh, and the first one's from Steve. He asks, in today's wrestling landscape... How would you, Mike Davidson, book a show? Um, so I'm still, I still believe that the best the wrestling business ever was, was from 1996, well, maybe 1990, late 95, no, early 96 until 2001. And, the, and where it was is there's this element of reality and conflict-based booking that started that actually started the Attitude Era. And it started right before Kevin Nash and Scott Hall left WWE and went to WCW. And that started the NWO and that led to WWE's Attitude Era. And I think that was the best booked period of wrestling, at least in from the time I started watching in the early 80s. It had elements of reality, it had elements of conflict, and it was, it was very, very believable. The reason why there's so many laps to fans right now is wrestling isn't booked that way. There's not true conflict, there's not true rivalry. The belts don't mean as much. And what happened in this era, guys like Shawn Michaels and Bill Goldberg and Bret Hart and all of those guys, even though they were portraying a character, 
their true ego was tied to that. And they believed so much in themselves. And it wasn't, it wasn't a show. It was their business. Their, so Bret Hart was in the business of Bret Hart. And Shawn Michaels was in the business of Shawn Michaels. And Steve Austin was in the business of Steve Austin. And they took so much, they were so protective of themselves. Now, you'll hear me so often say, well, that guy takes himself too serious. He might be a mark for himself. Guys have to get back to wanting to be the best wrestler on a card. I, if I was booking a locker room now, what I would do is I'd try to put together a locker room of guys that wanted to be the best on the show. So you can have a little bit of competition in that locker room between guys that have to work together to put on the best show, right? Who wants to be the highest paid? Who wants to be the top guy? Who wants to be the champion? And not in a repulsive way like you see on heels. I would book guys that bring out the best and the people around them. Uh, in WFX, I had Charlie Haas and Bob Hawley who made people around them better. I had Gangrel and Eugene who made guys, who made local guys they worked with much, much better. So I would try to, I would try to book based on reality. What would be a real conflict between guys? Um, I, the championship would mean something. Guys would be allowed to, to do their own promos. The only guy I can think of right now in either of the companies that makes me believe he speak, he's shooting from the hip is MJF. He's really the only guy. MJF or Eddie Kingston for me. Yeah. Eddie Kingston's pretty believable. Jericho to a lesser degree. Jericho's done too much, you know, stupid stuff. It's Jericho's too hokey, but, ah, uh, so that's what I would do. I would start, I would go to my local crew and let me be very honest. I said it at the start. I'm not interested in booking at this point. I'm not interested in running my own shows. What, despite the speculation and I've seen it and people are snickering. Oh, when Mike starts up, Mike's not starting up. I don't have the time or the energy. I'm 43 years old and I like to go to the beach or go to the pool every weekend and hang out with my buddies. So I will say this, I would book based on reality I would motivate my crew. One of the things as a booker I always did was communicate to the roster where we are and where we're going. Believe in me, that's, that's where we're going. And the guys buy in and they, because they know where we're going, where the finish line is, they all buy in collectively. I treated it like I was the head coach of a pro sports team and everyone had an important role. And that's how I would book. And that, that's an important distinction to make because there's not a lot of teamwork a, a lot of times in wrestling, a lot of very individual people to, and so to tie them together is important. It's important for me to also say what I wouldn't do. I would not let cute crap on the show. And I've done it before. Donnie DiCaprio used to sing yeah, and he did it well and it was funny and it was clever and it was well-timed. But if you do it too much, it's, it's not like if the top angle isn't built on competition, rivalry and effort to be better, it's going to fall flat. So no, I would cut the cuteness and I would focus on conflict, reality, and if you can get a little bit of hatred, even in today's age, push it. Yeah, you cut cut the gaga out, have the gagas, if you're going to have it, you know, for me, lower middle card or, you know, beginning segment type thing. But yeah, be careful with it because it, be, it can become contagious. Yeah. All right, so we've got another question here. This one's from Dave. Dave says, in episode one, Mike didn't answer clearly what are some of the things that promoters have done correctly in the past 25 years? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Dave's not a wrestling promoter. Uh, a lot of the promoters right now are, are, they think I'm too critical, especially when we talk about pricing and we talk about graphic design. I've gotten into debates with guys about what I believe. It's okay if you don't agree with me. It's okay if you, do, if you listen to the podcast and you don't agree with me. That's okay. Listen though, because there is going to be things you do agree with. What have promoters done right in the last 25 years? I'll tell you what they've done right. 
they've given wrestlers a place to work, to learn. Um, they've provided safe rings in almost every case. Uh, I will never be dismissive to what a promoter does to put on a show because it's a lot of work. And, and you hear me say, I don't want to run a show. I have respect for the ones that do want to run a show. Um, there's so many things they've done right. Uh, one of the things that they do right is that they, they help develop talent. That's the big one. Uh, they take financial risk and they take loss. That's another one. I haven't seen anyone do really good TV uh, and I want to see that. I'd like to see somebody actually invest creatively into making a, an actual TV show that you could actually go to a TV network and say, hey, here's our package. Would you would you pick us up? And I know it's cost prohibitive, prohibitive but a lot of people ignore a lot of the quality that they have to put in, the, the quality control they have to do to, to do it. Um, I think the promoters, for the most part, despite some of the critical uh, constructive criticisms I make, I think that they're doing right. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. Cause I like to make little suggestions that they could do that will, that could work for every one of them. So I, I, I tip my hat to every one of you, every promoter in North America, that's running shows, keep doing what you're doing. If you can improve it, do it. And if, if anything, it, don't be offended by what I say you need to do better. Just listen to it. And if, and if it works, try it. So, you know, let me give you a nod. All those promoters, you're doing, you're doing great. And, uh, and I appreciate that. So that's, that's the last of the two questions. One last thing I'm going to say, the total BC show is, ex- is doing way better than we ever guessed it was going to do after five and now six episodes. Um, we're going to be doing something. We're going to be doing a launch party. That's going to be coming up in fall of 2022. So this fall, and, uh, I'm going to have details about that. It's going to be something where you know, people who listen can come and wrestlers who, who listen can come and promoters who listen can come and sponsors can come and we're going to get together and we're just going to have a great celebration of what yeah, we're, we're doing have a good, here. good time. And I've been talking to a couple guys and we might start doing a breakfast once a month. We oh. might get together for a breakfast because it's going to help me jog some stories that, because I've, there's stories I get wrong, right? Like Bobby J might not have given Bulldog Bob Brown a golden shower. It's still unclear. Well... I would like to think he did give it to him. I'm sure you would like to think that. <laughs> yeah, I sound sick. Um, <laughs> but so we're going to have a breakfast just so guys, cause they send me messages and I just want to get together with the guys and just be she's. Yeah. And we might even do like a patio takeover, you know, like four o'clock in the afternoon, have a few cold ones and, and just shoot the she's, you know? So I'm going to have some details on our social medias about that. And if you're a listener, doesn't, you don't have to be in the wrestling business to come and hang out. Right. So just come down. I know like we might have, we might hang out with Tony Candelo. Yes. And uh, Wayne Stanton, who was here and graciously gave us his time. And, you know, I just think it'd be great just to get together and just, just have fun. Right. And that's, so we're going to, we're going to have some information about that, but that's pretty much all I got to say. Uh, that's, the, all, that's all I got to say. Too. I'd I, like to close it if you don't mind. Uh, I do. I just want to once again thank Wayne Stanton for, for coming in and giving us his time. Absolutely. And in the meantime, and in between time, another edition of the Total She Show. That's my shout out to Ed Whalen. Glenn Goza, come on now. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post. 
and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the Iceman. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the Iron Claw as only the Vaughn Eriks can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friends, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Eric, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair when he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover, and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Boy, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?